Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Control Alt Azure. This episode is sponsored by ScriptRunner, and ScriptRunner is a great solution to centrally manage PowerShell scripts and standardize and automate IT tasks via a graphical user interface for help desk or end users. Check that out on scriptrunner.com. I'm Tobias. I'm back with UC. What's up? Hey, Tobias. Uh, I've had a busy but enjoyable summer, so we spent three weeks doing a road trip in California with the whole family. Uh, it was great. It was hot, and I, I think I've had enough French fries for the rest of my life now. Uh, and when we got back, we completed the move to the new house. I think I mentioned that a couple of times. And since then, for the past two weeks, I've been mostly doing 12-hour days, fixing the little things, setting up the home network, the IoT devices, the security, the locks, everything you really have to do in a new house. So now I am in my new small studio room. So if my voice sounds a little bit different, it's it's because I don't have the acoustic panels in place yet. But considering summer was great, but I'm also happy to sort of get back into the work mode now. How about for you? Nice. Then welcome back and welcome to your new home studio office. So for me, it's been about one month since I joined Microsoft because the, the last time we spoke um, and did a recording was just before summer and we built a little bit of buffer. And now I've been here for one month and I'm learning so much about so many things. It's a big machine. There's a lot to learn. It's exciting and confusing at the same time, but all in good ways. So I have kind of settled in now and I'm an architecture content lead on the cloud architecture content team working with well-architected framework, cloud adoption framework, Azure Architecture Center, and helping like cross-service, which means I'm not working with a single product or service, but uh, span all of them. So it's a very interesting area to be working with, and there's a lot to learn, mostly around processes and how we get things done, but I'm super excited. It's it's really been a blast. Everyone is super welcome, uh, welcoming and you know, very embracing. And so the culture is very warm and yeah, a bit unexpected in that sense that everyone wishes you the best. So everyone tries to ensure that you can achieve the best you can. So I, I came in, was confused. There's so many processes, so many things, so many things I have no idea about. And the amount of help and support you get from everyone around you is incredible. So I really love the culture. It's yeah, a, a positive surprise, and and I'm super excited for what's coming next. So, so that's what's up for me. That sounds really good. I'm I'm really happy for you, and and I'm thinking here now that we've done episodes on on the well-architected framework, on cloud adoption framework, and a lot of the things that you mentioned. So, if you ever need more insights, just go back to the old episodes and listen on those. I, I'm sure <laughs> we've covered everything there is. Alrighty, so today this is Azure Updates. So our look on, on what's been happening lately in Azure. And we've got plenty of things. And and based on my notes, uh, Toby, I think I, I have one extra one, but I know that the few ones you have are a bit more lengthier. So perhaps let me start quickly on an easy one. And then we sort of gradually dive deeper into, into the topics. So this is something that does not affect me in any way. What's generally available now is a price adjustment in the US West 3. I have no workloads in US West 1, 2, or 3, but whenever 
you sort of read price adjustment, it implies that, well, <laughs> we've raised the prices. Uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this is actually a price reduction starting 1st of August. So by the time you're hearing this, the reduction is in place. So I did go through the announcement and there's a link in the announcement. Uh, I will put that in the show notes that says, check out the new pricing here. Click on that one. It goes to Azure pricing calculator, simply saying, figure it out yourself based on the old prices you paid for. <laughs> so not too helpful, but I'm sure if you're running workloads in US West 3, you possibly recall, well, I'm running this sort of a virtual machine or Azure SQL. I used to pay $4, maybe it's $3.7 now. So you can sort of figure out how it affects you especially. So a small one, it's in place, the price reduction in US West 3, nowhere else. Okay, cool. My first update is a preview feature right now, which is about sharing images across subscriptions and tenants with the new Compute Gallery feature. So Azure Compute Gallery is something that can kind of help you build and structure uh, and, and kind of organize uh, things around your Azure resources, like images and applications, like VM images. And an image is like a, a copy of either a full VM, uh, including the data disks or just the OS disk. And a VM application is a way to separate application installation from your VM images, which means you don't need to republish a new image for every line of code change that you make. So I kind of love that concept. And now uh, this preview feature gives read-only access uh, to subscriptions and tenants to your gallery. So you can now say, well, we need to grant access to this app or this image to someone else in a different subscription or a different tenant, then you can do that. So preview feature, sharing images across subscriptions and tenants with the new compute gallery feature. Super cool. So listening on this, I'm sort of thinking that the capability to share images, it's, it's a bit like having containers without containers, right? Because you can separate <laughs> the operating system. Yeah. I love this. I love this. Oh, alrighty. The next one for me, this is a little bit esoteric, but I wanted to include this because this brings back fond memories from 10 years ago. Azure Store Simple 8000 and 1200 series will no longer be supported by end of 2022. So about 10 years ago, when you deployed something to Azure and you needed to have hybrid storage, so that could be for data tiering or simply for gra gradually or, or eventually migrating content to Azure Storage, what you could do you could purchase this hardware device called Azure Store Simple. Uh, you would deploy that to your, your local network. Nowadays, it's called the Edge network, but at the time it was on-premises. You would deploy that in there and you could configure on the device that what sort of data would I like to have hot, readily available in the on-prem? What would be gradually migrated to the cloud and perhaps be offline, but accessible and fetchable when a user would go to a shared file um, or a shared folder and would click on an Excel file and the store simple device would quickly and rapidly pick it up from the cloud and replicate it back to on-premise. And I recall the device was for free. You could just get it. But the, the requirement was that you have to commit up to $50,000 in Azure consumption in the first year. So it's free, but pay us 50,000 first. 
And I had so many customers who purchased this one. Uh, and and after a year, I would visit whatever customer and they would say, yeah, we have this device. We have no idea what to do with this. It's been collecting dust and it's turned off. So now those <laughs> devices will no longer be supported by end of end of 2022. But if you're still running this, and this is a shocking news to you, haven't received the email about this, uh, there's migration guidance available. I went through that guidance, and in essence, the guidance says, migrate everything to Azure Storage, enable Azure File Share. You're good to go. <laughs> so, <laughs> so now we have this hardware capability as part of Azure Storage and Azure File Share and all the, all the uh, hybrid features we have in the cloud now, which is good. So if you still have the hardware device, even after 10 years, I think they sort of stopped selling this some years ago, but if you still have it, time to start migrating to the cloud and retiring this device before Christmas. Makes sense, good advice. So my next update is something that's GA or generally available right now, and that's tag filtering in Azure Advisor. Super small update in one way, but it is also very significant in the use cases. So uh, you can get advisor recommendations scoped to your department, uh, a specific workload, a specific team, uh, and then you can filter the recommendations and calculate scores and whatever you want using the tags you have already assigned to different Azure resources and research groups and subscriptions. So like a use case here is cost savings. You want to optimize costs in your organization and as an example, maybe you want to filter by your department or a specific department or a specific cost center, which then is a tag that you put on the resources. And then you can see the recommendations only for those resources. So the idea here is super simple, uh, but it can have significant impact for your organization because now you can use Azure Advisor very much more granularly and say, hey, I want to take a look only at the things that affect me and my team or the things we have scoped for the business requirements moving forward. Uh, and maybe that's a, a particular set of the workload you have deployed. Maybe that is a few resource groups only. Maybe that is something you want to consider and think about how you want to kind of optimize um, taking action on those recommendations and filtering based on, on tags. Again, simple feature, but it can have a significant impact. So I, I really love that update. Uh, it is available now, so you can just go and try it out. And uh, we'll put a link, of course, in the show notes. You can click that, or you can just go to um, to Azure and search for Azure Advisor tag filtering, and you'll find it, or just open Azure Advisor, and then you will be able to do that in the UA, UI right now. Good, sounds good. I'm, I'm thinking that I actually have a lot of use for this, because quite often I go through Azure Advisor recommendations for a customer tenant, and they have hundreds of resource groups. And I go, well, it would be nice to sort of drill down and I can do that per RG, of course. But now with the tags, I can include multiple ones at the same time. This is nice. Uh, next on my list, this is generally available now, the Microsoft Cost Details API is now available for uh, EA and MCA customers. So those customers who have crafted an enterprise agreement with Microsoft or the Microsoft Cloud Agreement. And what this means is that there's a new API in town and this replaces all of the old enterprise reporting usage details APIs as well as the consumption usage details APIs. So you can pull granular 
cost details for Microsoft 365, Dynamics 365, Power Platform, and Azure. And why you would want to use this is that you have a lot of investments in the cloud. Now you can pull the cost details for all of those for the desired time frame, perhaps per month or for the past six months or the past day. And you can analyze those in Power BI or in Excel, or you can build your own data store to do whatever you want with the, with the historical cost details. And I feel this is useful, especially if you feel the Azure cost management interface doesn't give you enough. And I often feel that if I use Power BI, it's much faster to analyze that why do we have a deviation in here, but not in there. And with cost management, it often takes minutes to just refresh the panels. But when you get all of that offline with Power BI, it's so much faster. Okay, that's nice. So this cost details API is for EA and MCA customers only. Yep. This is not something you can just spin up a new Azure subscription and, and start using. Exactly so. So you, you need to have uh, an EA provided tenant and or subscriptions, or you need to have the MCA agreement with Microsoft. So I'd say small businesses perhaps do not benefit from this because they simply use cost management. And of course, from there, you can still branch out to Power BI, but it's a little bit more cumbersome. Yeah. All right. Sounds cool. So the next update on my side is, again, a preview feature. And this is about .NET 7 support for Azure Functions in the isolated process model. So you can now build your serverless apps with .NET 7 when running in the isolated process model in Azure Functions if they are on version 4, uh, so the Functions Runtime version 4. And that follows the same pattern as the previous .NET versions in the isolated worker model. So if, if you started with .NET 5, you could start with the isolated worker model, but that also supported um, the traditional uh, model. But now moving forward to .NET 6 and eventually now .NET 7, you need to use the isolated process model. There is a caveat for the preview, which is that the Linux consumption plan is not yet supported. It will be added later, but all Windows-based plans, they are available and Linux dedicated and Linux premium. So that's uh, something that's good to think about. And I really love to mention this because I know a lot of people use Azure Functions. A lot of people are running .NET on Azure Functions. And I know many customers who already are up and running on .NET 6. So now looking forward to .NET 7 might make sense. Still in preview. So, you know, whatever gotchas comes with a preview, not supported in production and so on think about those considerations, but it's definitely a, a good idea to start tinkering a bit and see if the, the source code can be upgraded and run on that model, perhaps in a separate branch in, in DevQA. On Twitter, I'm following a couple of people who, I, I think they work for Microsoft and they often tweet about the updates to .NET and C Sharp 11, stuff like this. And I don't really follow up on those too closely, but I sort of try to take a quick look every now and then to sort of figure out what's happening in there, especially what's the version number of C Sharp and .NET. And, and the innovations and the capabilities they keep adding, they, they seem so advanced now that if you just randomly do a little bit of code every week for your own needs, they, the new capabilities are so fancy that it's nice to have them, but at the same time, you don't even know you sort of wanted to have them unless you make this 
sort of uh, an educated decision to, to really dive deep into the new capabilities. I will need to take a look at that as well, eventually to start migrating the code to .NET 7. Next on my list, this is generally available as well, Azure Gateway Load Balancer. And how or why you would use this is that you want to introduce or add to your architecture an NVA, a Network Virtual Appliance. These are often third-party proxy services, firewalls, cache solutions, some sort of capabilities that Azure natively does not have. And perhaps you want to use a third-party firewall solution. So you deploy those, but if you have multiple of those, you can now use the Azure Gateway Load Balancer to load balance traffic, the external or internal traffic uh, that's been ingested to the NVAs. You can now use the Azure Gateway Load Balancer to figure out how do we want to want to modify and, and manage the traffic that goes to your NVAs. I'd say this is for enterprise use, but I've also seen this sort of need or requirement in smaller environments that are very specific on, on how things need to run. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. So one thing that I really need to read up on and become better at is like Azure networking, you know, as a whole. I took a look at the, there's a certification now for Azure networking. Uh, I don't know if it's an associate or, or expert level certification. And I read through some of the things you need to know. And I'm like, okay, I I have some things to read up on here. Uh, I've done quite a few setups and, and networking stuff, but not to that extent. And like all of these things just keep, keeps adding on to the capabilities in the cloud and you can have so many, there are so many options now for how to properly design your network in the cloud, right? It, as opposed to previously it was, just go to the cloud, everything is managed for you. And now it's everything is still managed for you, but you still need to make decisions on how to configure that stuff. And, and, and that is becoming more complicated uh, for all the best reasons. So the next thing on my end is something that is GA. We have talked about this before. It's Azure Active Directory Authentication for Application Insights. I know we mentioned this once, maybe twice even in the show. I've also written a blog post about this, which is AAD Authentication for Azure Monitor App Insights, which is now fully released. So uh, I'm, I'm really happy to see this come to light and roll into general availability which means it's now fully supported to make use of. And I highly recommend taking a look at this. Using that capability means uh, you kind of opt out of using the local authentication and ensure that only telemetry that is exclusively authenticated using managed identity or Azure AD is ingested in the uh, App Insights resource. And that inherently kind of increases the security and reliability of the telemetry that you use. Previously, anyone with a telemetry key could send data your way with no authentication and no restriction. So seen on several occasions that companies had strange data in their app insights, only to realize that they were subjected to what you might call a breach. Um, you know, might not want to call it that, but someone got hold of the uh, of that key because people don't always treat it as something sensitive because it's just an instrumentation key. You cannot read any data, right? But you can do quite a lot of harm uh, where someone started to send a lot of fake data. So ultimately that increases your bill quite a lot. And there's a heavy decrease in the data reliability, which might be even worse because all of a sudden all the telemetry you have is skewed because you're getting a load of crap data, which does not relate to anything you're operating 
but it's really difficult to filter that out if you get hammered by an attack. So that has happened several times. Most of the time you have a data cap for your log analytics workspace and you say, well, I'm going to cap the data at this many gigabytes per day or per month, however you want. Uh, if you don't have that, this can become extremely dangerous for your cost uh, because if anyone has that key and you don't require authentication, they can send any amount of data your way. And then, of course, like I mentioned, the other kind of uh, caveat here, which I think is really the culprit in, in this scenario, is you're running applications. Maybe you have a, a bunch of different app insights. Uh, maybe they're all sending to the same log analytics workspace. Maybe not. But you already have hundreds of millions of items in there and events and, and things that you're recording, maybe billions, uh, which, which I used to have. If someone starts sending fake data in there, it's really difficult for you to understand what is accurate and what is not. Because when you make aggregate queries across all that data and try to figure things out, maybe you need to count the exceptions, maybe you need to filter by type of exceptions or traces or events happening, and you have a bunch of fake data, then everything that you're pulling out is unreliable. So take a look at AAD authentication for application insights. It's a small capability, but it's a huge impact. But it does require a code change. You cannot just keep using the telemetry key, of course. You need to then make a code change saying, I want to use a managed identity or this AAD principle, and here's how I want to connect. Um, but all of that is super well documented as well. The link to that is also in the show notes. You can click that. Looks good. And I recall we, we've had a discussion on this one. It was in preview. And we, we have about 400 pages of notes for the past episodes in total for the show. But thankfully, OneNote does have a fairly good search, so I can I can find those links as well. Uh, next on my list, uh, this is something in public preview, multiple backups per day for Azure Virtual Machines. Mm. This, be, this, this has been something I've sort of missed every now and then. You have critical workloads running on virtual machines, and you can do uh, backups multiple times a day previously, but you couldn't say, I want a backup every hour of the day. So this is in preview. The multiple backups per day has been available previously. I think it was every four hours, but now it's it's down to hourly if you choose to configure this. Nothing changes beyond this. You just get an extra option in the pull-down menu when you configure back, backups for your VMs. Okay, very nice. Uh, well needed, I think. So I, I have a final update, which is actually split into two. And just to stay true to the format here, um, this is about Defender for Cloud, some updates around that. So the, the first of the two Defender Cloud updates is Defender for Containers VA, or Vulnerability Assessment, is now adding support for the detection of language-specific packages. This is only for Linux images right now, and it detects vulnerabilities in OS packages deployed via the OS Packet Manager, and also detects vulnerabilities included in language-specific packages too. So OS packages include like the Alpine, Red Hat, uh, CentOS, Debian, Ubuntu, and so on. Language-specific packages currently include Python, Node.js, .NET, Java, and Go. Uh, so that might be interesting to take a look at. So Defender for Containers Vulnerability Assessment in preview has support for that, which is super cool. The other preview feature for Microsoft Defender for Cloud is 
uh, around building an automated process for improving the security with governance rules. So you can now define rules to assign an owner and set the due date for resources in the specified uh, recommendations. So when you get recommendations and that might impact your secure score and all these things, then you can give an owner like a clear set of tasks and deadlines so they can go and remediate the recommendations. You can also review the process of those tasks by subscription recommendation or by the owner, and that allows for easy follow-up uh, when something needs more attention. And the security posture graphic in Defender for Cloud shows you the overdue and unassigned recommendations in percentages. And then additionally, the recommendations list in Defender for Cloud shows the status of each recommendation, uh, like overdue and so on. So that's a well-needed governance capability. And the link to that is, of course, also in the show notes. Sounds good. I did see the um, the announcement on the governance rules just before going on the summer vacation, but I, I haven't had a chance to try this yet. Interesting stuff. And the last one for me, public preview, Microsoft Graph API integration with Azure Event Grid, uh, super useful. So what this essentially allows you to do, you can build now an easy integration to subscribe to events from Azure AD, Outlook, SharePoint Teams, all the things that get exposed through Microsoft Graph API, mostly on the Microsoft 365 side, you can now use Azure Event Grid to, to uh, subscribe to those events and publish those to whatever event handler you'd like to use, an Azure function, a webhook, or something else. So what I plan on using this for is when an change occurs, for example, for an Azure AD user, perhaps the phone number is changed or the password is reset or something else. I plan on then having some sort of a monitoring capability that reacts to this and perhaps updates that to an HR system later on or some other system that I need to use. The beauty of this is that I only need to use Event Grid and I can then dynamically choose what to use for, for that capability. Alrighty, I, I think that was the last one we had. Uh, the last thing we have is the unexpected question. Uh, based on my bookkeeping, Toby, it's your turn this week to ask me the unexpected question. Yeah, and, and I think that's pretty good timing because my microphone just stopped working and reverted back to my headset. So the audio quality right now might have dropped. Uh, I hope it doesn't interfere too much with the, the recording that we just did. Um, my question to you then is, if animals could talk, which one would be the rudest? That's a great question. Uh, when we went to California, the kids wanted to go to a zoo, so we drove to the San Diego Zoo, which presumably is, is, is fairly big, and it was massive. We saw all sorts of animals, and what I'm thinking now, one animal we did not see in that zoo, but which what, what I can see here in Finland, in, in one of the zoos we have in here, is the panda. And my thinking here is that panda sort of resembles the, the, the cuddly, nice, friendly, bear-like creature. And also during the summer, I was watching a couple of episodes of the, uh, of the 
sort of sci-fi show called The Boys. If if anybody here is, is is seeing that, and there's a character called the Soldier Boy. Bear with me here now. And if you ever seen an episode with that character, you can possibly associate the rudeness level I would anticipate the panda of having. So yes, my answer here is if animals could talk, the panda would be the rudest animal. That's very interesting. I've, I've seen Kung Fu Panda, so I would I would say pandas are nice in a way, but okay, yeah, great answer. Alrighty, thank you again for joining us, and we'll cook something fun up again for next week. All right, see you then. 